Hey there, Cremaholics. It's Kinsey bringing you another brand new episode this week. If you have been listening for some time, then you know already that over the last 30 days, Holly and I have been covering the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women movement. We were completely shocked at how little publicity that this topic is getting. We feel that it is our mission to shed light on this epidemic that is plaguing Native American women in North America. Did you know that according to the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native American Women, they have found that Indigenous women are facing murder rates 10 times higher than national average. Not only are they losing their lives at much higher rates, but nearly 6,000 Indigenous women have gone missing, and only 116 of their missing persons reports have actually been logged into DOJ database. The more we are digging into these cases and the more families we are talking to, we have come to the conclusion that every single one of these families are being heavily failed. Their missing persons reports are not being met with urgency, and when they are actually found murdered, it is not a priority to find whoever is responsible. Even though we said that this is going to be a 30-day segment, over time we have realized that 30 days is just not enough to bring awareness to the MMIW movement. A few days ago, I looked at the calendar, and it was the 25th of August, and I realized that here shortly in just six days, this segment was going to end, and it was just not enough. So Holly and I have decided that every second Saturday of each month, we are going to be featuring an MMIW case. There are so many cases that have been brought to our attention that we have just not gotten the chance to cover yet, and we will not stop talking until something changes for Native American families. On this MMIW episode, I'm actually going to be doing something just slightly different. Usually, we do one missing persons case on Monday, and then Friday, we try our best to cover a solved case if we can have one. And it's usually just one person. So this episode, I'm actually going to be telling two MMIW stories. These are the stories of Casera Stops Pretty Places and Henny Scott. I decided to do these girls' stories together in one episode because I did not get the chance to cover them separately before our segment was up, and because both of these girls are young girls who had their lives taken and are both from Hardin, Montana, and are members of the Crow Nation. And just like in every other MMIW story I have covered, both girls nor their family have yet to receive justice. going to start with Kaysera Stops Pretty Places. According to the Bighorn County News, Kaysera was born on August 14, 2001 to Geraldine Boltail and Alan Stops. Kaysera and her family are from the Crow, the Mandan Hidatsa, Haraka, and the Northern Cheyenne tribes. Like we have heard from many other Native American families, her family too was extremely close. Kaysera was actually raised by her great-grandparents, Clara and Joseph, but she was also taken care of by many other women in her family. For example, her grandmother, Yolanda Frazier. 
Kaysera has been described as any normal 18-year-old girl. Kaysera was very athletic and participated in several different sports like basketball, cross-country, track, wrestling, and she even played a little football. Not only did she participate in sports, but she was actually also part of the drama club at her high school there in Hard, Montana. And she participated in several school productions as well as singing in her school's choir. To me, this is amazing being in all these different activities. And according to her family, she had big dreams of one day making it big and becoming an actress and a performer. Like I said prior, it truly amazes me that she was able to do all of these different activities. And what really got me was that not only is she super busy with all these different activities, according to the Bighorn County News, Kaysera managed to also find time to take care of animals that she rescued. Kaysera sounds to me like she was a very loving, fun, goal-oriented, selfless girl. With all of the different things Kaysera had going on prior to her death, it shocks me to think that she may have even had time for friends outside of her extracurricular activities. August 14th, 2019 was Kaysera's 18th birthday. And what her family did not know is that this would very sadly be the last birthday that they would ever celebrate with her. Just 10 days later, Kassara would end up going missing. At the time of her disappearance, she was living with her grandmother, Yolanda Frazier, there in Hardin, Montana. On August 24th, Kassara left her residence and where she was headed and what she was doing during this time is currently unknown to her family. According to a statement made by Kassara's aunt, she was to return home that evening and had no plans to stay out all night. The next day on August 25th, Kassara actually had plans to go visit family in North Dakota with her mom. When Kassara did not show up to go visit family, it really threw up some red flags. The fact that Kassara did not come home the night before was already very off for her. According to Kassara's family, it was not like her to just not come home or not to contact somebody and let them know that she was going to be staying the night out or to let somebody know what her plans were. As two more days went by without a single trace of Kassara, her mom decided to file a missing persons report on August 27, 2019. There was no calls from her, zero sightings of Kassara, and absolutely no activity on her social media. And for her family, that was a really big red flag. I mean, she's 18 years old. She's a senior in high school. Of course, she's going to be on social media, but there was not a single post since August 24th. And of course, as we have seen time and time again in these MMIW stories, when Kassara's mom went to file her missing persons report, it was met with zero urgency. According to her family, the Bighorn County Sheriff's Office never even alerted the media in their area or even decided to hang up missing persons flyers. When you have a high school student missing in your area, why in the world would you not think it's important to alert every single media outlet possible in your area to let them know who she is and her information and to keep an eye out for her? According to the lawyer that is working with Casera's family, the first 24 to 48 hours is extremely crucial for Native American women when they disappear. I want you to keep in mind August 29, 2019. Keep that date in your head. 
because that is just two days after her mother filed that missing persons report. And a person passing by came across the body of a young woman in Hardin, just right behind somebody's house in a wood pile. This person passing by ends up calling the police to report the finding of the body. And the Bighorn County Sheriff's Office goes out to where the body is found. And they do not even set up a parameter for a crime scene. They just end up taking this young woman's body to the medical examiner's office. You find the body of a young woman just laying in somebody's backyard. Why would you not set up a parameter for a crime scene and start investigating right then? It was not until September 11th that the body was identified as Cassara Ruth Stops Pretty Places, and her family was then notified. So remember I said to keep this date in your head. Her mother reported her missing August 27th. Just two days later, Cassara's body was found, and the Bighorn County Sheriff's Office did not even notify her family until September 11th. What I would love to ask the Sheriff's Department is, how in the world do you have a report of a missing girl? Find a body of a girl and you were unable to identify her for two weeks. This poor family sat around in agony wondering for two weeks if their loved one was still alive all while she was at the medical examiner's office this entire time. I know from past cases and from my family's own experience, when you file a missing persons report and a body is found and it is close to the description of the missing persons file, law enforcement will call whoever filed that missing persons report and ask them to come and take a look at the body to rule whether or not that is their missing loved one. So I want to know why they were failed so horribly and nobody ever called when her body was found. According to the Billings Gazette, the Bighorn County Sheriff's Office and the medical examiner did not feel her death was suspicious or suspected foul play. But I'm sorry, a healthy 18-year-old girl does not just fall over dead of natural causes in somebody's backyard. The police did, however, find out who owned the home where Cassara's body was found, and this man's name is Stephen Schaff. I was unfortunately not able to find out much of anything about this guy. According to what police told Cassara's family was that this man was not even home when her body was found and he apparently had been called by a family member to be notified that the body was found behind his house. Seems quite convenient, but also I don't really think a perpetrator would leave his victim just laying in his backyard like that. However, I do believe that the police should have at least looked into this man a little further and not just take his word on it that he was out of town. And if he truly was out of town, how long had he been out of town for? Police also never even looked into the person who found Cassara either. It was basically just, we found her, we do not find her death suspicious, and we're not going to investigate anything further. I don't understand... I feel like I say that a lot in these cases because it really is I can't wrap my head around the stuff and I cannot understand the logic 
when investigating these cases. But I just don't understand how they think for one second that an 18-year-old girl is just going to drop dead and nobody else did anything to her. According to her Aunt Grace from an interview on Democracy Now!, the police completely refused to look into Casera's phone or her social media to find out any type of information that would help them with her case. And if we really look into teenagers these days, Social media is really how they communicate. Social media and texting. There's times where my teenage sister who's 19 doesn't even bother texting me. She'll just message me over Snapchat. So her family feels that if they would look into her social media, they would at least be able to find out where Casera was headed on the 24th and what her plans were for that day. On top of doing a really crappy job from the beginning in Casera's case, the coroner, Terry Bolas, encouraged Casera's family to cremate her body. When her body was part of an open investigation. And I want you to remember Terry Bolas' name because he is a real dirtbag and he will come up again in our next story on Henny Scott. With the consistent encouragement to cremate Casera from Terry, her family agrees, which literally ends up destroying any possible evidence and any way to find out how Casera actually died. However, Casera's family truly believes that her death was a homicide and she was murdered at the hands of another human being, and I agree with them. Again, a healthy 18-year-old just does not die of natural causes and ends up in someone's backyard in their wood pile on their own. That just doesn't happen. Two weeks ago would have been Casera's 19th birthday, and just a few days ago on the 24th was the one-year anniversary of when Casera went missing. Her family is fighting so unbelievably hard to get Casera justice. Seeing how much strength and courage they have is such an inspiration to me. Yesterday, I joined the Justice for Casera Facebook page and saw that her family has such phenomenal things happening right now in honor of Casera. According to the Justice for Casera Facebook page, between August 24th and September 11th, her family is camping out where Casera's body was found and they are holding several different events during this time. I did find some information on these events and I want to go ahead and share them with you guys. And these events are as follows. On August 24th, her family held a vigil in Hardin on Mitchell Avenue and Rangwin View Drive at 6 p.m. On the 25th, the family hosted a webinar to provide background and updates on Casera's case. And her aunt Grace Boltail and Mary Catherine Nagel, who is their lawyer, did this webinar, and I did actually watch that, and so I highly recommend you go and watch that on the Justice for Casera Facebook page. On the 26th, the family hosted another webinar on the MMIW in media, featuring journalists Connie Walker and Lula Bryan at 11 a.m., and I also did watch that one, and again, highly recommend you to go watch it. It was very, very educating, and it was very sad to listen to it firsthand of the struggles that these women have had to face being a journalist and being Native American. 
Today on the 28th, they hosted a webinar discussing the MMIW policy and advocacy in Bighorn County. Tomorrow on the 29th of August, they will have a memorial and closing prayer with her family in Hardin at Mitchell Avenue in Rangeview Drive at 9 a.m. They have stated that everyone is welcome. On August 30th, they are asking everyone to send a letter to Bighorn County Sheriff Lawrence Big Hair. They do have a letter already drafted and that will be in a link on their Facebook page. I will be doing that tomorrow as well and I highly encourage everyone to do the same. On August 31st, everyone is invited to send a letter to Terry Bullis, owner of Bullis Mortuary. Same thing, there will be a letter drafted and you can find that on the Facebook page. On September 1st, the NIWRC will host a Twitter storm for hashtag justice for Kassara at 3 p.m. If you do have a Twitter, I highly, highly encourage you to post justice for Kassara as much as you can at 3 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Mountain Time. September 2nd, everyone is invited to send a letter to the FBI as well. There is another letter drafted and it will be available on the Facebook page. September 3rd, advocates are invited to send a letter to Operation Lady Justice Task Force. Same thing, there is a letter drafted for you to send. September 4th, everyone is invited to send a letter to Attorney General Tim Fox. There will be a letter drafted for you. September 5th, SBI hosts will have a webinar on the MMIWG issues featuring Anita Lucius and Grace Boltail and other advocates and survivors. I do highly encourage you to watch that and I will be watching it live as well. September 6th, everyone is invited to send a letter to Senator Tester. Again, there will be a letter drafted for you. September 7th, everyone is invited to send a letter to Senator Danes. September 8th, NIWRC will host a Twitter storm again for hashtag justice for Coursera at 3 p.m. And if you have Twitter, I highly suggest that you do the same. September 9th, advocates are invited to send a letter to Governor Bullock. And there again will be a letter drafted for you. September 10th, SBI will host one more final webinar featuring the voices of Bighorn County MMIWP families and their stories. I'm really excited and looking forward to watching this webinar. And to finish out on September 11th, prayer ceremony will be at 9 a.m. Mountain Time at Mitchell Avenue in Rangeview Drive. Everyone is welcome, but they are asking if you do attend in person to please wear a mask and be sure to social distance. I wish that Holly and I could be there to be with Casera's family during this time. I will also have these events posted in our Facebook group in case anybody would like to participate. I highly encourage everyone to check this out and participate as majority of this is going to be able to be done online. Kaysera's family needs help from the public by keeping her name out there and not letting her go forgotten. Someone knows exactly what happened to Kaysera and the person responsible for her death needs to be held responsible. However, that is not going to happen unless the public bands together for Kassara and her family and helps them out as much as we can. So be sure to check out those events that I will have posted in our Crimeholics podcast discussion group on Facebook. Crimeholics, keep saying her name. Kassara Ruth stopped pretty places. <laughs>
just like Cassara, Henny was a beautiful, beautiful young girl. And according to Henny's obituary, she was born on January 9th, 2014 in Crow Agency to Paula Castrostop and Charles Scott Jr. Henny had a very large family and just like Cassara's, they were very close to one another. In the beginning of her life, Henny lived in Lame Deer, Montana with her family up until her middle school years when she and her family moved to Elroy, Texas, so her family could care for her grandpa Felix, who unfortunately ended up passing away in 2013. While they were there in Texas, Henny became very involved in sports and she fell in love with cheerleading. There in Elroy, she attended some cheer camps and during the school year, you could always find Henny cheering on the sidelines for her school's football team. Henny even ended up playing on her school's basketball team her 8th grade year. Henny was also described by her family as very, very smart, who often got awarded for being on their honor roll. And Henny one day dreamed of becoming a doctor, and at one point she took a really big interest in her mother Paula's EMT books and looking through them and learning how to treat injuries. Not only was Henny very great at sports and academics, Henny's family described her as a very outgoing girl who made friends just everywhere she went. Unfortunately, Henny and her family would experience a very devastating loss in 2014. In October of that year, her family lost her brother, CJ, and shortly after his death, Henny and her family relocated back to Montana and moved to Hardin, where she finished out her middle school years. After middle school, Henny would be enrolled at the Lang Deer High School, and according to my Google Maps, Hardin is about 55 minutes from Lang Deer, even though the Crow Reservation and the Northern Cheyenne Indian Reservation border each other. During her freshman year of high school, Henny, like any other 14-year-old girl, she loved to be with her friends at the basketball games cheering on her school's team. According to the Billings Gazette on December 8, 2018, like always, Henny was planning to go to her school's basketball tournament, but she had to ask permission from her mother, Paula, because this tournament was not actually being played there in their hometown. It was being played in Billings, Montana, which is roughly about a two-hour drive from Lame Deer. Paula ends up telling Henny that she was not allowed to go and she needed to get home. And so... Henny ends up telling her mom that she would be home shortly. However, little did Paula know this would be the very last time she ever heard from her. As time passes and the evening turns to night and Henny never comes home and she is not answering her mother's phone calls, according to the Crimes Against Her podcast, Henny's family ends up deciding to drive up to Billings, Montana to the basketball tournament to see if they can find her. And when they arrive, they quickly start asking people if they have seen Henny. Her family ends up getting pretty mixed answers from the people there. Some people said yes, they had seen Henny and she's there. And others had told her family that no, Henny did not come to the tournament and she was back in Lame Deer. Paula has stated that people were saying that they were seeing Henny in all kinds of different places, but everything ends up being just a dead end. People had said that they seen her on the Northern Cheyenne Indian Reservation and also on the Crow Reservation. But with zero signs of Henny after a few days and no calls and her social media being completely silent, her mother decides to file a missing persons report. And according to the Billings Gazette, Paula would end up filing a missing persons report on both the Cheyenne Reservation and the Crow Reservation since she was told 
that her daughter had been seen in both places. And guess what? As always, her missing persons report was met with absolutely no urgency. The people who took the report ended up telling her mom to ask around her circle of friends to see if anybody has seen or even heard from Henny. After already asking around in person, Paula decides to use her Facebook as a way to locate Henny. And unfortunately, this turns up nothing. Nobody has seen Henny in days. It was not until 19 days after her disappearance that law enforcement finally sent out a missing and endangered persons alert in the media. You have a 14-year-old missing child in your town and you're going to wait 19 days to put out an alert? I will never understand law enforcement's logic in these cases, ever. According to Paula, the reason it took so long was because her file ended up just sitting on somebody's desk who had gone for a break for the holiday season. I just don't understand. I've said this a million times during the last 30 days, but I just do not get it. How do you have a missing child and you just decide, hmm, it's no big deal. I'm sure she's just out partying somewhere. Because I know if this was their children, they would be on it right away and they would want somebody helping them. Missing people is not something to mess around about and is definitely not something to mess around about with children. So again, I just will never, ever condone what they do with these cases and I will never understand the logic. On December 28, 2019, 21 days after Henny went missing, her body was found laying in the snow on the Northern Cheyenne Indian Reservation when a member of a search party had found her body. Her frozen body was found just 200 yards from the residence where someone stated that they had last seen Henny on December 8th. This subdivision was in Muddy Creek, which is west of Lame Deer. I looked as hard as I could to see if I could find what the land was like where Henny's body was found to see what was out there. Like, was there thick bushes and that's why no one's seen her for 20 days? Or was there zero bushes, no tall grass? no trees, and whoever murdered Henny put her body out there shortly before she was found? These are answers we may never know. According to the podcast Crimes Against Her, Paula has stated that Henny was seeing a boy who lived at this residence. And according to the host of this podcast, she had actually been to this home several times as a teen, as she is from the same area as Henny. And she stated that the person who owned this home was known for giving marijuana and alcohol to underage kids. According to the host, this house was known as the party house. According to Paula, when they went to see Henny's body, it was evident that Henny had a broken nose and her little body was covered in scratches and had bruises on it. After Henny's body was found, the communication between Henny's family and law enforcement became almost non-existent which seems to be a common occurrence in all MMIW cases. And remember Terry Bullis, the coroner in our first story? Due to law enforcement not communicating with Henny's family, her poor mother had to find out that her cause of death was ruled an accident by hypothermia in their local newspaper. Yeah, their local newspaper. This coroner decides for whatever reason that it's appropriate for him to give this information to a newspaper 
about her supposed cause of death instead of waiting to notify her family. When this was brought up, it turns out that Terry had said that they were out of the jurisdiction, and so that is why he gave the information to the newspaper and didn't call her family. I'm sorry, but just human decency, that's not something you do. It's not that hard to be a decent human being, and knowing that that is going to crush her family, you just don't do it. It is not that hard to pick up a phone and notify her family what has happened to their daughter. I cannot imagine how horrible of a punch to the gut this was for her mom. Paula saw the broken nose and she saw the bruises and the scratches and she was found right outside the house where she was last seen. So of course Paula is waiting for her death to be ruled as a homicide and she ends up having to find out in her local newspaper that it wasn't ruled a homicide at all. The medical examiner stated that he determined that based on her toxicology report, due to the high level of alcohol in her system, she must have walked away from the house and passed out and froze to death. This is really why I would like to know what the area around the home looks like, because how does a person just walk away from a home and supposedly pass out 200 yards from the home and not a single person see her for 21 days. How many times is her family going to be failed? There is lots of speculation that there was Snapchat sent around that showed videos of Henny being assaulted by several people, which would explain the broken nose, the scratches, and the bruises. However, I was not able to locate any such videos or any accuracy of the story, but I did find a statement from law enforcement in the Billings Gazette that stated that the biggest issue in this case is that social media was not being willing to work with them even though they had gotten subpoenas. So I don't know if that meant they were trying to get into her Facebook and look at her messages or her Instagram or in fact they were trying to get those videos from Snapchat. Again, that is just speculation. I don't know the accuracy, but I did find it suspicious that they said those videos existed and that social media was not being cooperative despite the subpoena to get that information. I would hope that whoever did take Henny's life was not sick enough to take those videos and pass them around. Very sadly, in August of 2019, law enforcement announced that they were closing Henny's case and that there was not enough evidence to prove that a crime had actually been committed. As of right now, things do not add up in Henny's case at all whatsoever. And when I first heard about Henny, it reminded me a lot of Selena Not Afraid's case. There was a smidge of room in both of these girls' cases for law enforcement to say hypothermia due to the time of the year and how cold it gets. So I truly believe that because it just happened to be cold, they ran with the idea of hypothermia and ignored the injuries on her body to get their case closed. It seems to be a trend in the Midwest for Native American women who end up murdered in the wintertime for their death to be ruled hypothermia. There is another Native American female here actually in Rapid City where Holly and I are from and she was found dead in 2016 in the winter so her death ended up being ruled hypothermia as well. And this makes me really wonder what 
each medical examiner would have ruled their deaths if they were not found in the winter time, like if they were actually murdered in the summer or the spring, what their deaths would have been ruled. Because if we take a second to look back at Cassara's case, she was found murdered in the summertime, and they had no explanation for her death. So it just seems that if you are found murdered in the winter, hypothermia is an easy way out and an easy way to get these cases closed. As of right now, Henny's case still remains closed and it still remains ruled an accidental death. It is so important for us to keep saying their names. We cannot let any missing and murdered indigenous women go forgotten. It is our responsibility to keep talking about this epidemic. If you have not yet, I highly encourage you to join our Crimeaholics podcast discussion group on Facebook or follow us on Instagram, where we will have pictures of both Cassara and Henny. Crimeaholics, as always, be aware and take care.